Almighty God, you know us. Lord, we've sung together of how you have a, a father heart that is touched. It's hard for us to fathom how the amazing, great creator of this vast universe, of which we are a tiny speck on a speck, is moved by our concerns and that his thoughts towards us individually are as vast as the sand and the seashore and that you have individual plans for us and that your care for us is so great that you would send your son to suffer in our place. Lord, we cannot fathom that love and commitment for us individually. We want to thank you. We want to praise you. We thank you that you have not only made it possible for us to to escape uh, the clutches of our sin, the guilt and shame, but you've given us guidance. You've given your spirit to come and to dwell in among us. You've given us your word that we can read together, we can study, and we can can understand your heart and your character, and we can understand your guidance, the, the direction you're giving us. So this morning, we want together as your, your children to come and sit at your feet. Uh, speak to us through your living word. May it reveal to us what we need to learn and change and be transformed May it transform our hearts and minds that we may see all things differently and that we can reach out with a hand of faith and lay hold on the truths and the promises that you have for us. We pray for your effective work in spite of the weakness of the vessels you would use. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has laid uh, on my heart this, this morning to, to read from the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke chapter 18. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not man, neither regarded, feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. But he would not for a while, and Afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, 
shall he find faith on the earth. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And the Lord has also asked, laid on my heart to, to continue reading from the epistle of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5. Maybe we can uh, begin reading from, from verse 7. James chapter 5, beginning to read from verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets which have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by the earth, neither by any other oath, that, but let your yea be nay and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you fl- afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. If he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. If any, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Read right at the end of the chapter. Let us kneel down and worship God.
Oh Lord, our God, from a busy world where people run to and fro, where they seek pleasures, where they hate, where they destroy, where they commit atrocities, oh Lord, and where there is so much information out there to keep people busy even with that, and rush to and fro, and Jesus Christ has less and less time in our lives. Oh, the temptation is also to be caught up in that running to and fro. And we thank thee for this opportunity to come apart in the quietness of this morning hour in this building, to worship, to be reminded of the purpose for which we are here, to glorify thee, the Creator, O Lord. Not to be caught up in the affairs of this life to the extent that Jesus Christ has no room. And that to face death when the soul which thou hast created eternal, Lord, takes that step, O Lord. When faith comes to fruition, dear Father in heaven, remind us of this so that we put things in proper perspective the decisions that we need to make here, dear Father. Uh, the things even that cause our heart here to tremble, and yet in eternity will only bring a smile, if they are remembered. O oh Lord, we thank thee for this precious time that we can come together about thy holy word, the truth which sets man free, the truth upon which we have to build our house of faith, O oh Lord, the truth which is Jesus Christ, and upon this truth, he builds still his church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. O Lord, impress it upon each heart, O Lord, not to neglect thy truth, and to order our life accordingly, dear Father, that we may walk and not just talk. Dear Father, we are mindful of those that could not gather with us, those that are about sickbed, those that are suffering, pain, continual, Lord, tiring pain, have mercy upon them, dear Father. Grant thou the strength to bear the things they need to bear and provide healing, O Lord, where it is according to thy purpose and thy glory for the better of the soul, O Lord. For we have to walk by faith, and we don't know, O Lord, but thou dost know and declare thy heart unto us that thou dost love us abundantly in Christ Jesus and that the end will be well, those that commit themselves and walk true and faithfully. We pray that our anointed brother to speak now the word of truth in simplicity, that it may go forth, that the souls may receive it, and also that it may be done, dear Father. O oh, Father, we thank thee for <coughs> this place that we can come together to worship thee. We thank thee <coughs> for this country and for this city that still allows us to gather freely. And may we not take it for granted, but make full use of it whenever it is time to come together to fellowship with one another and with thee to claim the promise that where two or three are gathered in thy name, thou wilt be in their midst. This promise we now claim and ask for thy blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> We were uh, blessed a few Wednesdays ago 
or was it uh, that, uh, it was the last Wednesday in January. Brother Willie Ritzman was here and he was sharing the slides and pictures of his, his uh, time in Papua New Guinea. In some ways, it probably felt like going through a time machine as he went into the highlands and found people still cooking over open fire in their house with a house full of smoke and, and you know, no recourse to, to any of the modern conveniences we have. Although they still had cell phones, surprisingly enough, so he knew he was still in 2014. But they didn't have a lot of things they could rely on, a lot of infrastructure. And uh, the, the first part of James there that we skipped over, the first six verses, talk about those who are rich and how they need to be careful they don't rely on those riches. Well, those brothers and sisters of us, the, the 134 churches in, in Papua New Guinea, they, they don't uh, have that problem. That temptation of worrying about their riches, I, the unemployment is, I don't know, well over 70%. I forget the exact number, 80%. But when there is a need, when there is a problem, doesn't matter what day of the week Willie was sharing. We had a, a prayer meeting after uh, on Sunday, and, and after he finished, he said, you know, he was just so struck by how reliant they are on God. And that, you know, any day of the week, if there's a problem, 50 people will gather together in, in the church house and they'll be praying together for that need. And God does respond to those prayers. You know, they, he saw in his short stay there of a couple of weeks of, you know, how God worked out things that, you know, were pretty impossible. Uh, even... Uh, getting Werner back through the highlands and the bandits that were out after blood and, and trucks stuck uh, way above the muffler and in mud and that 50 people couldn't pull out. All kinds of challenges, how God worked out things because they didn't have that safety net of their own, you know, refrigerator and bank account and things that kind of put a buffer between us in our immediate need. Although there are, even here, you know, despite our um, you know, relative affluence, we still live in bodies that are subject to the curse. And despite our, our, our huge and ever-growing investment in, in healthcare and prevention and education and, and modern medicine, we can't escape the fact that we get sick and that we have to face death. As we were starkly reminded this past Sunday when two of our brothers had passed away in that, that week. And we realize that there are things that are outside of our control. And we have a choice whether we want to, to remain in this bubble of I'm in control of my life until, you know, things come that, you know, I just totally can't avoid uh, that come crashing in and, and uh, because they will happen. And we start seeing the limitations of our control. 
I know there's a number of people that that's the point at which they start to think about seriously about their soul and about eternity and about what's real uh, was when their power came to a limit and they're facing their mortality. Or we can be as our simple brother and sister who, who, who have the privilege of seeing God's hand daily because they're not fooling themselves and they're relying on God on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. <clears throat> the scriptures we read together, Jesus is talking in the, in the 18th chapter of Luke, and Luke has a lot to say about prayer. He's the one who, who talks about Jesus staying up all night to pray and about how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And here he's giving some specific parables, teaching us some important things about prayer. In the first story here, uh, he talks about a widow. Now, last Sunday, uh, Brother Dennis pointed out that in, in the society of the first century Palestine, uh, that the woman didn't have a lot of legal status and legal recourse. They didn't have a lot of weight. And it was really up to the male members of their family to stand up for them and defend them and represent them. And so this widow was in a very difficult position. She had been taken advantage of. And uh, because she was a widow, she didn't have anyone to represent her. And she had to go herself to the judge. And because she was a widow, she didn't have a lot of money. Uh, And so we can kind of infer that the unjust judge... Um, really wasn't interested in justice. When he says he didn't fear God, meant that he he was in his own little bubble, inflated by his own ego and pride, and thought that he was in control, and didn't realize that one day he was going to appear before a higher judge. And so as a result, he thought he would just do what was good for him at the moment, which was the highest bidder. And the widow had nothing to bid, And so he didn't uh, take on her case. But this widow kept coming, kept persisting. And uh, after a while, he he said, you know what? Even though there's nothing in it for me and I'm not worried about uh, justice or my, uh, my status in front of people, what they think about me, But because she's continuing to come, it's starting to bug me. It's starting to get on my nerves. I just want to get rid of her. And so I'm just going to deal with her case just to get her off my back. Now, why would Jesus use that illustration? Is God like that? That God doesn't have a sense of justice? He is justice. He is the definition of justice. It is his character that we can measure everything by. And that's why Jesus says, the Lord says, hear what the unjust judge says. By contrast, if he who is not moved by a sense of justice will take on the case of, of the, um, the poor and the weak and the undefended, What do you think God is going to do? God, who is justice, he will avenge his elect. He will um, set justice for those who cry 
day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. And that's, that's the part we have a problem with. So Jesus is saying, if even an ungodly judge that you have no influence or lever of control over, if he'll respond, if you come with persistence, if you continue to come to him, do you think a God who loves you, who created you, who sees you worth his son, who thinks about you so often as plans for you, you don't think he's moved by your prayers? Of course he is. And he will ultimately bring out justice. But he will not necessarily do it on our time scale. He bears long with us. And we, because we are not eternal, because we think that our lives are short, uh, we have lived on a time scale of, of, of decades, not centuries and millennia and millions of years, but mere decades, we are in a hurry. We want to see things done in a time that, uh, well, basically we want it done now. And Jesus is telling us he might have a purpose. He's not unmoved. He's not heartless. He it does feel your pain when you come to him. And it does matter to him. If, if the unjust judge is moved by persistence, it matters to him that you care enough to continue praying. His heart is moved every time. And, and your persistence matters. Now, to be honest, I'm not sure I understand that. I'm not sure I, I get everything about prayer. There's a lot I need to learn. But some things I, I need to understand. I just have to take God's word. And he's saying here that that persistence makes a difference. And then Jesus says, yes, God is going to deal and he is going to execute justice. And it's going to happen speedily. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean it's going to happen right now, but it will happen in a short time frame. When God does set things right, it's going to be fast. And then he talks about when the Son of Man cometh. Maybe that is the time frame. That is when things are going to be sorted out. We, we see parallels here between the, the, the story that Jesus said of, the, of the, the man who had sowed good seed and the enemy comes and sows tares which look very much like wheat but don't bear fruit and they're very hard to distinguish. And the servants are saying, should we, should we take out all that bad tares? And, and the, the master said, no, leave it till the end. And then we can tell which ones are bowing down because they've got fruit on them. And we can easily separate the fake from the true. And we won't disturb what is, uh, is going to truly bear fruit rather than risking that. And, and we know, and giving a picture that at this point, God is not coming down and immediately striking down everyone who has done things wrong. He's not immediately addressing our grievances and, and the things that where we see injustice. But that isn't because he isn't moved by it. And it doesn't mean that he isn't going to deal with it. He will deal with it in 
in, in his time frame, which is eternal, there will come a day where this unjust judge is going to have to answer for ignoring the widow. And everyone who, who thought they were going to get away with it are not. And those who are working from a position of weakness, of pain, of poverty, will get their, um, will, will all get sorted out. But Jesus is concerned. He's not concerned that justice isn't going to happen. He's concerned about you and I. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, he comes in the clouds with the sword of his mouth, destroying the, the gathered armies ready to attack Jerusalem and, and bringing down the rod of iron and the rule of peace, when he comes in that glory, he's concerned Shall he find faith on the earth? Will we have persisted? You see, the persisting in prayer, maybe it isn't about moving God. Maybe this persistent isn't that the more times I come to God, the more likely he is going to respond. Maybe the reason why he's asking us to not give up in praying is so that we don't give up our faith in our trust and dependence on God because he's going to deal with the issue. That's not the problem. Jesus is coming back. He is going to split the skies. He is going to separate the wheat and the tares. But are you going to be trusting in him? Or are you going to have given up? Are you going to say, because I don't see this immediate connection uh, that, you know, I pray and, you know, things happen in front of me the way I expect. I've given up my faith and I'm going to be those who have lost their faith, lost their willingness to patiently depend on God. And, you know, this is not something I at all prepared. But, you know, as, as God has brought these two scriptures together, we see a big emphasis on patient endurance in James 5. That he's saying, look, look, just like the farmer. He puts seed in the ground. He doesn't see anything. You know, if he starts getting impatient and digs it up, you know, is it, you know, is it working? You know, I, I don't see anything. You know, he disturbs and it's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. He's got to, he's got to invest time. He's got to invest labor. He's got to pull out the weeds. He's got to water. He's got, and, and, and days go by, you know, weeks, so months. And he's got to worry not just for the, not only the early rain, but he's got to make sure we get that, that harvest season correct. He's got to, he's got to wait the full term. Until, you know, finally breaks out of the ground and then it's just this weak little green shoot, you know, and, and then it doesn't have fruit and then, you know, it has fruit but it's immature and, and so on. But he's got to be patient. He, he believes in the, the working of God through, you know, the, all that happens with, with, with seeds. So he has to have long patience. And he's saying, you also need to be patient. You need to establish your hearts, is the King James language here, saying you've got to get your hearts so they're not unstable, so that 
when something happens, you don't like, oh, I give up. Oh, that's it. I can't deal with this anymore. I've had enough. You know, God, God, you, you can't do this to me anymore. You don't know. Yes, God knows. God knows exactly what you're going through. Everything you've gone through, he has experienced and knows. Not only theoretically, not only the point of view designer, but Jesus has experienced those heartaches firsthand. And his heart has moved. And he knows your limit better than you do. Which is why you say, I can't do this. And God knows you can. Especially if you don't give up. If you patiently hang on to your faith and endure to the end, you will be saved. So we need to have hearts that are stable. And how do you get something stable? You've got to put it on a solid foundation. It can't be up on the glass tabletop with only three legs that is a little, one's a little shorter. It's got to be on something solid. And it's got to be firmly connected with that. Can't just have one tip on there. It's got to be established on a foundation. You know that if you're building something, you've got to have a firm foundation. And if you have three of the walls on the foundation and the fourth one isn't, well, that's not going to be a stable building. Or if that, and so on. You can think of all the analogies. The point is your heart can't have the cracks. It can't have the pressure points. It can't, you can't have something in between you and Jesus. You can't, you've got to get to the bedrock of there's nothing between me and God. It's not my money plus God. It's not my health plus God. It's not my family and relationships plus God. And then if God touches any one of those things, well, then, you know, it's all over. That's not a stable heart. It's got to be God alone. If God alone is your bedrock, then, then whatever the storms come, your house will stand. If it's Jesus plus something else you're trusting in, my abilities, my whatever, you're not stable. And will your faith endure when Jesus comes again? Let your hearts be established for the coming Lord does draw nigh. Jesus is going to come back. We see the parallels here with Luke 18. Jesus is coming back. You've got to hang in there. And you've got to not trust anything else because he will come through even when it doesn't look like it, even when you don't see the shoot coming out of the ground, even when it looks like God is some kind of unjust judge that isn't reacting in your time frame and in the way you want. And you've got to be careful that in this time when you're enduring pain and you're being tested, you don't turn around and take it out on other people. It says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Jesus is coming back and he will judge things. Don't take it in your hands to be the judge ahead of time. You don't know the whole story. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to hurt people. You are going to not just damage the tares and the wheat. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to have to answer. When you start judging now, you might say, well, you know, it's, you know, I didn't execute anybody. I didn't, even though they deserve it. I didn't, I didn't put them in jail, even though they deserve it. I just 
you know, vented a little bit of frustration to someone who understood what I was going through because I just, just didn't wanted someone to know I'm not going crazy because I've got all this frustration inside of me and I, I just had to get rid of it. Well, you're still grudging against one another and you're still judging that person in your heart and now it's spreading to another person and it's causing damage. And that's not patiently waiting for God to deal with it. I mean, there is a way if you have a concern with someone, biblically, Matthew 18 prescribes that you go to a person in love and and you address the issue and often it can be a misunderstanding. Many times in my experience, because unfortunately a lot of people come to me to solve the problem instead of going to the person they have the concern with. And, you know, in the majority of time there is a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of filtering of, you know, I think he did this because that's what's in their heart and, and a lot of guessing and judging and grudging. And the judge stands before the door, about to come in. Don't take his place. You know, the courtroom is set, right? And you know that person's guilty. And the judge isn't showing up, so you take it in your hand. You walk up to the podium, and you say, you know what? Uh, we all know this person's guilty. And then the judge comes to the door, right? And, and, and what are you doing up at, at, the, uh, at the pulpit? What are you doing holding on to the gavel? Who do you think you are? What kind of, you know, you are out of place. <clears throat> and so he says, take my brethren the prophets, which have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of affliction and patience. And he points the story of Job. Job, you know, which, you know, we all are familiar with how he, he lost everything. Bang, 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 bang. You, you know, one after the other. He, he had all this buffer, and, and Satan was trying to use that. He was trying to say, look, God, he obviously, you know, he just, he worships you because this, what's in it for him? You know, you take it away, and he'll be just like everybody else. He'll curse you. And so God lets Job, uh, God lets Satan take everything away, and he stages it for best dramatic effect so that one servant is coming to tell him he lost all of his camels and his she-asses and fire from heaven and the Sabaean raiding bands and everything's happening, you know, until, you know, your own children, the whirlwind came and caved in the house and they were all in one house and they all died and you lost everything, right? He, he, he couldn't, couldn't have been a greater effect, and Job's response, shall we take good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? Blessed be the name. The Lord is given. The Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do we have that perspective? Everything I have is given. We have this idea that I have some right to my health. I have some right to happiness and comfort. I have some inherent right to be respected and treated nicely by everyone. And I have some right to all these things that God's given me. Do you? This whole idea of human rights... You are created. You are created for God's pleasure. 
And because God is a good God, he's given you incredibly good things that you probably aren't counting the blessings on. And if God takes it away, that's completely within God's right to take back what he gave them to begin with. Job's perspective is correct. It's just very rare and very difficult because we, we tend to creep those foundations. You know, that's, it's nice to trust in all this nice full refrigerator and bank account and all these accomplishments and these nice friendships I have and all these things that are kind of comfortable. But if God takes that away, that's completely within God's right. He gave it to you to begin with. And God works things out in the end. But Job is honest. You can read 40 chapters of Job saying, this hurts. And I don't understand it. And God, I wish you'd show up and explain this to me. And you can read about people who presume to know better and tell him that it's all his fault. But, and that's Okay. To be honest about how you feel. God still honored Job. And he still restored everything to him. But in all that he didn't lose his integrity. And his trust in God. He didn't turn his back on God. He was patient. And that's why he's being pointed to. As an example of patience for you and I today. We haven't lost as much as Job has. We're not sitting on, on the ash heap. Scraping our pussy wounds and having our only person left tell us you curse God and die and have your best friends come and say it's all your fault anyways just admit it finally we're not there and you've seen the end of the Lord in the Lord God is merciful and, and, and he does restore and he does bless and this whole invisible world we don't see and we don't know what the heavenly angels and de- demons are, are, are wagering about our actions. And we don't know the consequences of your just hanging in there and persisting in prayer, persisting in your choice to depend on God. One last point. The second parable talks about two different people who prayed. One, self-righteous. The other, humble and recognizing his need. He goes home justified. The one who trusted in his religious, excellent performance, very commendable, does not. Here it talks in James 5 about what we should do when we're sick. What we should do when we have trouble what we should do when we're happy. It talks about praying. It talks about the kind of prayer that's effective. So here we are post-Pentecost in the church age. How does it look like? And it looks like it's a community. It looks like it's a group of people that are honest enough to confess their faults one to another. That aren't going to be like the, the, the Pharisee who says, well, you know, I attend church on Sunday. I show up in a pretty, pretty good suit or, you know, whatever it is. I'm well-dressed, drive a nice car, and I put in my duty, my respectable things, and, you know, I've got my check marks checked. I even, you know, 
take my turn on lunch duty and whatever. You know, I even might visit the sick on whatever. You know, whatever God uses, you know, what's actually what Satan uses, unfortunately, to make us feel like we've checked off our check boxes, but we're not real with God. We don't look inside. We don't see what's really barrier between God working in our lives because we won't honestly admit the problem. We won't look inside and see where we're hanging on to things and we are hiding things and we are, are um, hurting ourselves and God. We are, our pride keeps us from that. And that was the conclusion there that, that Jesus told everyone in the parable, the one who humbles himself gets lifted up. The one who's proud gets abased. So when we humble ourselves and we confess our faults now in this community to one another and pray for one another, God responds. God raises up the sick. He forgives sins. He heals. And our, our prayers can be fervent. They can be from the heart. And they become effective. And they can even... Uh, Uh, have great spiritual effect rescuing people spiritually as well as physically. So if we are looking to experience God, then it's not about religious checkboxes. If you want to experience God, you've got to get vulnerable. Doesn't mean you have to give away all your money so you're depending on Him, but you need to become vulnerable spiritually. You need to acknowledge what's going on inside and get honest and real with God. And you need to pray and depend on Him. And when you do that sincerely, God will show up and you will be amazed. He is an incredible, loving God and He will lift up those who humble themselves. He's promised it. May the Lord bless His word.
Almighty God, the one who always was and always will be the beginning and the end of everything we know, and yet the one that we can now call Father. We are so thankful, Lord, that you have moved in your servant this morning to remind us how much you value our prayers, how much you look forward to hearing us bring our joys, our praises, our thanks, as well as our burdens, our concerns to you in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for the reminder of how effective humbling down and not only on our knees but our hearts in prayer honors you, glorifies you, and that you will move in your time. Lord, we cannot thank you enough that the veil of the temple that once kept us from the Holy of Holies has now been torn in two and we can come to you through the new veil, which is Jesus Christ. Lord, at times we confess we don't Realize and maybe recognize enough the importance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this, the payment that was offered for the debt of our sin. Father, we thank you for that. And simple words, yet we pray from our hearts. And Lord, we pray that as the seed has gone out this morning, that it would find good ground in the hearts who are sitting here, those who are unconverted and those who are converted. Lord, may each and every one of us check our hearts that there would not be stony ground there or weeds growing up that would choke out the good seed, but that rather it would be plowed, fertile, moist soil that would receive that seed and bring forth so much fruit. For we know that when our hearts bring forth fruit, your name is glorified. Your name is lifted up as others would see the fruit and glorify your name. So Father, we pray that you would continue with us. We look forward to the lunch that is provided. We look forward to the fellowship that would happen around that food, and we pray your blessing on both of those. Continue with us now, O Heavenly Father. For this we ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The last verse of hymn number 20.
the Lord has spoken to us this morning and to me as well. Many things I have learned that I did not know before about my need to persevere in prayer so I don't lose faith, so that I can stay connected. God is faithful. He's going to be loving me the whole time, providing the whole time, but I'm going to miss out. And I'm going to lose if I don't hang on and keep praying. About my need to humble myself, about being real, not just me and God alone, but even with my brothers and sisters, about sharing, confessing, and praying for each other, that together we can experience healing. A very encouraging word from a Heavenly Father who is real and wants us to experience that fellowship with Him and with each other. May that encourage each one of our hearts that we'd conclude this morning service.